Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of first-time listeners this week, thanks to our guests. So I want to give you a quick introduction into what the focus and mission of The Hustle podcast is. We try to tell the stories of the great artists that we don't hear from often enough, that deserve more attention. And we focus specifically on the emotional, psychological, and financial impact of rock stardom. Now granted, in most cases, we purposely seek out the people who might be a little more obscure. Maybe that moment was very brief, or maybe the height of that moment was brief, or maybe they had to iterate on that moment and have maintained a career, but it's been behind the scenes, or maybe it didn't quite work out, whatever it is. These are the stories that we like to tell here to shine a light on great artists that you don't hear from often enough. Having said all that, this week's guest is more or less a legend. It's Loverboy's Mike Reno. Now, Loverboy are enjoying a bit of a resurgence right now, thanks to their placement in that national car rental ad. It features this song, Loving Every Minute of It, one of their biggest hits. I thought it would be interesting to find out what the impact of that ad has been on their current careers. And, you know, you forget, Loverboy may have gone in and out of fashion over the last 30 years since they were really at their peak, but they had a ton of hits. And thankfully, because of that, and because of managing their band and their business very intelligently, Mike has been able to approach his career from a position of power. He does what he wants, where he wants, what's best for the band. We talk a lot about the secret sauce to keeping a band like theirs together all this time, almost 40 years. We talk about what brings other bands under and why it doesn't work. There's a lot of discussion here too around the psychology behind putting together a package show what bands work together when they go out on tour. I think all this stuff is really fascinating. Mike didn't have a ton of time, we only had a half hour, but I think we touch on a lot of really interesting things that you may not have known. And hopefully through this, you'll come to a renewed appreciation for Loverboy. In fact, this year they've put out a couple singles that you can get. One's called Some Like It Hot, one's called Hurtin'. They're both amazing. Run out to iTunes and pick them up. And just remember how much you love Loverboy. And Mike couldn't be a nicer guy. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. He called me from his home in Vancouver, Canada. First of all, I just got to say congratulations on the National Car Rental ad. I think it's so cool when the bands that I love get reintroduced to the younger generations in cool ways like that. And you just got to tell me, how did that even happen? And why specifically loving every minute of it? I guess it was just kind of an ad campaign that kind of went through, you know, how it goes through uh, the think tank, and they go, well, let's, what do you think? I think that's how it was chosen. I, I, and they, they wanted love in every minute of it, probably because of the, you know, the way yeah. it was perceived was that he's just getting the best deal he's ever gotten in the nicest car for the sure. price, and he's just loving every minute of it. I guess it just Yeah, okay. That's, the, you know, I, I'm only thinking logic. I know we had a good time doing it. The whole thing was really fun. I mean, I was super working with him. He's uh, He was just a super guy all the way around. There's that moment in one of the commercials where Patrick Warburton, that's his name, right? Yeah. He um, starts talking about how he saw you guys in 1986 on the fourth row. Was that true or was that part of the script? It could have been true because he's in Vancouver all the time. He has been for years. He's telling us it's like his second home. He does a lot of productions up here, as you know. Really? They call it uh, Vancouver. They call it Hollywood North. Sure. Um, I don't know what city you're phoning from, or we're phoning from. Uh, what city are you in? I'm in Denver. Okay. Well, 
up in Vancouver, they shoot a lot of stuff here. They got a lot of studios and big, you know, yeah. rooms to do all kinds of things. And he said he's been up here for the last five and a half months when we met. And I just, matter of fact, got a, a nice text from him this morning inviting me to his golf tournament in Palm Springs in March. Really? And he was just saying how, how uh, he just got a report from National that it's the number one requested ad they've ever done. Yes. And I just went wild. I went, isn't that great? I know. See, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I'm seeing an ad like that, and I'm thinking somebody somewhere in these boardrooms is thinking Loverboy would be perfect for this. And I think it's a real compliment to you that they even think that way, you know? And then that Patrick would come in with this, it seemed, very sincere story about seeing you guys in concert in 86 and the fourth row and how much he loved you. I just thought you don't see that kind of love for bands that I grew up on as much anymore. And I just thought, what a great compliment to Loverboy to have that happen. I totally agree. And I'll tell you something about Patrick because he's a very sincere guy. Uh, He's totally real about it all. You know, he's like, he doesn't fool around. He just, he says it like it is. He says he means it. He's not sticking around. He's really funny and he's really natural. He's really good at it. I found, I just found it a pleasure to work with him. So one of the things we we try to cover very delicately on this podcast is sort of the the money side of maintaining a music career. And so I, it, maybe it's too fresh, but, I mean, have you seen any kind of impact to the band or to future plans or downloads or anything like that from this commercial, or is it too early to kind of know that stuff yet? All I know is that usually this time of year we have maybe – one show books for the new year, and there's already 27 uh-huh. up booked. So I know that, and the prices went up. Our manager just said, you got to raise your prices every year like everybody else. And I just said, keep yeah. raising it until they stop calling, because to tell you the truth, I've, you know, I, we do it. I've played thousands and thousands of shows, and if it's not worth it, I'm not going. And make sure the cities sure. are really great and all kinds of fun. And, yeah. I, I, you know, there's a time in your career when you just say, I'm not doing that unless it's really going to be great. Really going to be Yeah. Great. You're lucky that you're at that stage in your career. In fact, this reminds me of something that I have always wanted to ask you. I will never forget, in the 90s, I'm watching Where Are They Now on VH1, and there's that immortal line that you say, and I believe it's Nirvana basically killed our career. Right. right? I remember the day. And I remember what you were wearing. I remember what I was wearing. And I remember thinking at the time, I mean, they killed, They did that to everybody, not just Loverboy. Everything changed after that. But I've always wondered, how specifically were you affected by that? How did it make itself known to you? How were you seeing the evidence of this? Okay, I'm going to be very clear because it's like night and it's just completely clear like a vision. One okay. day, record companies and radio stations decided they weren't going to play Foreigner, Cheap Trick, Loverboy, ACDC, anybody that's Kansas, anybody that's ever put a record out before, we're not going to play them (laughs) anymore because the music is coming out of Seattle and it's the best thing we've ever heard and that's all we're going to do from now on. And immediately I just laughed. I said, hey, I don't mind some of that stuff too, but that doesn't mean I'm going to cancel my whole future in in the recording business, shut down all my record contracts, close every radio station and play only Seattle's music. I mean, what kind of Uh, stupidity was that? And that's how, that's what really happened. And I just said to myself, this is really ignorant. This is a good time to take it maybe six months off and take take your kids fishing or something, you know, teach them how to. Oh, really? Okay, so so that's what I've always wondered. Now, obviously you guys had probably a dozen huge hits. 
But I was wondering, you know, the 90s weren't exactly a nostalgic period for the 80s just yet. That started to kind of kick in later. So I wondered if those became particularly lean years or if your success has been able to provide a beautiful, nice living, comfortable living for you ever since, even during some of the, the down times. We've never had a problem with that. We've sold a lot Good. of records, done a lot of stuff for movies. You had all the movie stuff in there. 60 million records have gone out the door. You know, 20 <laughs> some odd million with Footloose, 27 million with Sure. Time. We've sold 30 million on our own. Um, yeah. Then there was all kinds of other stuff we've done. And with the with the writing stating, uh, the writing was in internally. It was Paul and I generally writing the songs, and so we got you know we made a lot of money doing that kind of stuff, which is nice because we worked hard for it. And yeah. That's the way it is. And so we really don't have to do the work. We just like to keep keep doing something because you know it's like we're not bankers or, or carpenters. Yeah. We're more singers and than. than guitar players, you know, and songwriters. We want yeah. to it. That's why we keep doing it even today. But to, to mention when I mentioned earlier about how I'd like things to, to be better and stuff, it's because at, there comes to a point that you get to a certain age where you just don't really want to be sitting on the on a lousy sure. stage in a, in a crummy <laughs> little uh, whatever. You know, you'd right. rather it was like mm-hmm. a full-on state fair and it was all big sure. stage and all fun. You know, so you can start making some choices. And we've been able yeah. to make choices for years about <clears throat> some of the things that we like to do. And that's been really great for us because we can pick and choose a little bit. And rightfully perfect. so after all these years, you know. Yeah, perfect. I love hearing that. It was a pretty big moment for me. Two years ago, I was finally able to see you guys in concert for the first time. You played that radio festival. It was you guys, Romantics, Cheap Trick, and Rick Springfield. I'd seen Rick and Cheap Trick before, but I'd never seen you or Romantics. And it was one of those major moments where you finally get to check those guys off your list, you know? Yeah, yeah. After 30 years of waiting, I finally got to see Loverboy. And you sound just as good as ever. And I think, did you go back out again this year with Rick Springfield as well? Is that kind of a partnership you guys have going on? Or how do you decide who you're going to go out with? A lot of times in in a year, they'll say, listen, Journey wants you to do 60 or 80 shows. Mm -hmm. So you say, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to ride in a bus. We're going to play shows 300 miles apart. Let's Mm -hmm. not fly this year. Let's take the bus. And let's do those 80 shows. Plus, let's add, you know, 20 of our own shows in and amongst you know, different times when we're off, or not. Yeah. So in yeah. the case of uh, Rick Springfield, he's found that when he puts a group like Loverboy on the bill, it sells out pretty fast, and he's yeah. happy. So we're happy, he's happy. We do some Good. nice merchandising, he does some nice merchandising. We had three shows in a row with him uh, in the Chicago area, up by Waukegan, uh, nice. and then down in Springfield, and then in St. Louis, just outside St. Louis and St. Charles. So that was kind of fun. We got to drive and just see the countryside and take it easy. Sure. You know, Three-hour drive between shows, nice and relaxed, uh-huh. stop for coffee. So we're starting to do stuff like that. He calls and says, do you want to do like 16 shows next year in February and March or something? We go, well, where are they? And then, you know, we uh-huh. discuss it, and then we do it, we work it out. He's a good guy to work with. His band is good. He's a good guy. Good. We uh, seem to be, we have the same kind of crowd. Yes. Yes. So it's not like what you know they're pairing us up with somebody. Like, no, perfect crazy. synergy. I like thought we that same thing. We hook up with a lot too, and we hook up with Ario Speedwagon a lot. There you go. And we hook up with different groups that we find are in the same genre. We play with cheaper. That's great. That's great. Yeah, that's Very kind of cool. the way we do it. It's just kind of a decision we make. We don't 
we don't have to say yes, but a lot of times we do because it's just a nice matchup. Sure, may as well. And if and you're in a like you said, you're in a position to just do things that you think are fun and that are worth your time. You don't have to drudge through anything anymore, right? So if it sounds good, the payday's good, and the the company's good, and the venue's good, why not, right? That's what it's all about. That's great. Oh, I'm so glad to hear this. I love it. So one of the things I'm curious about, too, is you guys are all pretty much the original guys. Original members sticking together for 37 years is as rare as a Hollywood marriage lasting. How does this even happen? How do you manage to do this? Well, when Paul and I put the band together in 1978, we wrote some songs and we were trying to decide what we wanted to do. Paul and I actually had a long discussion about what we've done wrong in the past. Mm. And there was always like a guy who didn't fit in the band and for some reason he was there. And Mm -hmm. you knew it was just not right and it never would have been right. It's just one of those things. But that's just the way it is. So, And then the manager wasn't right or the record company wasn't right. This is what happened to Paul, what happened to me. When we mm-hmm. met, we had made some... Well, we decided after writing some good songs that if we do this, we're going to do it right. And in mm-hmm. doing it right, we took our time picking the band members. And we also mm-hmm. made it clear to... Paul and I made it clear to everyone, if you're in the band, everything's equal. You're an equal... Oh, band. perfect. Equal pay. Yep. Everything's yeah. equal, so the weakest link is basically, the, you know, it's just whoever is the weakest link, it's going to blow for everybody because everybody's yeah. on the same pay scale. So everybody has to pull their weight. That, to me, was was one of the reasons why mm-hmm. the band stayed together, other than the fact that after you receive a certain amount of international acclaim, it, it's almost like you have to carry the torch for that those songs are actually bigger than we are if you get sure yeah everyone's watching Yeah. Do that. 
Yeah. That seems to be, you know, I talk to a lot of people uh, for this podcast, and the ones who come away with the most kind of healthy attitude, even if the band's not together anymore, what helped everyone get along and not break up in an ugly way is always that equal partner kind of business structure to how they handle their business. It seems to make a huge deal, and yet not every band, I mean, look at bands like Kiss, you know, or these other these bands that just go through members or treat their members like second-class citizens or whatever. I know that that's the natural rock star way to want to be, but it obviously doesn't seem to work very often, you know? Why do you think it is that more people can't just adopt the, the same structure that you guys have? Do you know what it is? It's ego, a lot of it, you know? Yeah. I, I saw what happened with, you You mentioned Kiss. I, I happen to know that they weren't on the same structure and, yeah. you know, Paul and Gene took over, and they pushed those guys around, and they just said, well, yeah. on it. we're out of here. And they didn't yeah. care, and they just got drunk and just pissed off, and they just took off and just said, I'm not working yeah. with these. Same thing's kind of going on with the Bon Jovi guys, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah. Bon's just basically taking the thing and become like a little Donald Trump with that band. That's mind-blowing to me. I mean, Richie Sambora is half your – you guys are partners in crime. That's how you've been – Marketing yourselves for over thirty years. I really I also find think that there's shocking. probably some other things involved. Like I yeah, don't I'm think sure. She yeah. was happy there anymore, and yes. or maybe had a few issues that he, he couldn't combat on his own. Yeah. And you yeah. know, when you're running a show like that, you can't have people mess up. You just can't yeah. continue on doing it. Yeah. And I heard that maybe that was had a lot to do, or a okay. bit, at least half to do with it. You know. Yeah, I believe it. We remember. I remember those guys to be really super nice guys, all the Bon Jovi guys, you know? Good. Okay, but good. At some point, I think uh, John said, listen, the only way this is really going to work is if I take over and I do it. Yeah. And I think he learned a lot of that off Doc McGee, who's his ex-manager. And I think yeah. he said, you know, somebody's got to take charge here because this isn't working. This whole everybody's the same thing, you know. Somebody's got to take charge, I'm sure. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, that's the way yeah. it is. And sometimes it doesn't have to be that way. And sometimes yeah. it does seems like it. Like the guys in Cheap Trick are all great. I even know right. now, now they're putting uh, Dax, this is the new drummer, which is Rick's son, they're putting yeah. him in the album cover. If you look at the new one, you'll see Dax is in the picture on the album. Yep. And there playing he is. a song and contributing and getting Yeah, and Bunny's are on. And because he works hard. He's a good drummer. Yeah. Hit. And I think they said that uh, I know for sure that when uh, the, the original drummer, Bunny Carlos. I've yeah. met him before. He's a bit difficult guy. He's moody, and he shut everybody down. He just said, we can't take mm. the nonsense anymore. You complain about everything, and he, they just couldn't take it anymore. And that's probably, yeah. uh, they might not even say that. I probably shouldn't. But, you know, that's the Well, kind of, I think that's kind of common. I think a lot of people kind of get that picture, too. Yeah. You just don't want a grumpy guy in the band, right? Always yeah. Especially about everything. Yeah. And, you know, if that happens to come up, you know, ever in our band... We'll probably just say, listen, you know, what's what's going on? Like, what is your, right. what, you know, what happened? Your son get kicked out of college? Or, you know, there's something, there's always something <laughs> right. behind it, right? Right. Oh, that's hilarious. Maybe it's because you're Canadian. Everyone says, you know, how friendly Canadians are. Maybe that has something to do with it. Didn't you think, well, we though? we got to try a little harder. We're up here in the cold country, right? We got to. That's true. That's true, yes. I guess touring the South in the, during the wintertime is kind of a nice escape for you guys, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Up there. We tend to yeah. say, hey, listen, uh, Jonathan Wolfson, our manager, 
can you book us down somewhere nice and warm because we want to get out of here? <laughs> right. I noticed you guys are playing Cabo Wabo on January 6th. My wife and I went there on our honeymoon 14 years ago. I yeah. thought, what a perfect place. You know, the holidays are over. Let's go celebrate down in Mexico with Sammy Hagar, right? I know. I think we're heading down the day after our New Year's gig up here in Vancouver. We got a gig at one of the, one of the, one of the big yeah. rooms. And they you guys know what nice. you're doing. And then, uh, you know what's the coolest thing is Sammy and I have been friends for a long time. And he kind of did the old, hey, Reno, do you think you could come down here and play my wife's birthday party? Because she picked you as her favorite band. And I kind of went, really? And he went, oh, F-O. He kind of gave me the gears. He goes, just F you. Don't even rub it in, Reno. It's just, uh, you know, because she, <laughs> she picked us as her band. So she wanted to hear some Loverboy hits and have a have her birthday party. So that kind yeah. of right there. And then he said, well, you guys want to do another show for all the people on holidays? Well, let's do a show the next day. Yeah. We're actually down there for two shows, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's great. Very cool. So now you guys are putting out, you got a couple of singles out this year, right? Some Like It Hot, which sounds like absolute vintage Loverboy. It is a mixture of a bunch of things we did in the past. It's an older song. I think I okay. sang it 30 years ago. Yeah. It's so good. I've been listening to it a ton lately. And I just think this is this is just exactly what you want from Loverboy, and yet it's 2016. What's going on with us is we have so many songs that we, you know, when they back when they, we you wrote 25 songs and you only needed nine for the album. So there's all these songs kicking around that we thought were awesome and they were great. And so fans are now going, could we hear some more music from you guys? And we love this stuff and we love that last record. Yeah. And so what we're doing is we're just archiving and putting some new stuff. Hurtin' was a new song that we wrote. I know you're crying. What were you thinking? It ain't working no matter what you do. Play it through it. chance and I was counting on you. It's going down hard. It's going down fast. It's going down right. It's no secret because we won't know. There's going to be, there's going to be, there's going to be some hurt and
not even really selling the stuff. We're just kind of handing it out there for everybody. We're not making it like a big deal out of it because sure, you get to a point when you understand the music business, you've got to understand that records don't sell anymore. Whether you're, yeah. uh, you know, Elton John, to, you know, I don't. They put them out there. I don't think people actually buy them. They may come to your no. concert because they like the new song. Me, right. I, I don't right. understand how lucky. it really is, but that's just appears to me. Back in the day when we would sell 250,000 records every five days, that does not exist. Oh, gosh. Those are the days. Oh, my gosh. Those were the days. Yeah. You'd get a report, and you'd go, oh, my God, that's unreal. And, you know, <laughs> I know. So that like, many people love us. Isn't that wild? And I don't so even now, think young people don't even believe that, that sentence. Oh, no. Oh, no kidding. I know. I'm still a collector. I still like to hold the thing in my hand. I mean, I'll buy stuff off iTunes if that's the best or easiest way to get it, but I still like to hold the tactile thing in my hand, you know, especially yeah, for the you. bands that I really want to support. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I, so, I do the same thing. I, I buy off iTunes, and uh, I thought the the biggest uh, smack in the face was when you could only play it on three of your devices, you know, on iTunes. Like, <laughs> I bought it. Why can't I play it anywhere I want, right? And I know. I think, you know, I don't know if they've changed that since then, but I'll tell you something. And then how about when you put all your music on your computer and some for some reason it goes to a place called the cloud, and when you yes. get on the plane to listen to it, you can't unless you're plugged into Wi-Fi. That drives me crazy. Right. And the one place that I always feel safe having my music is on an iPod, and they're not going to make iPods anymore. Oh, I'm like... I'm a prisoner of this cloud that I'd rather not be a part of, you know, but I have no choice in the matter. I got a little a little secret for you. What? You know those three iPhones that are sitting on your desk that you don't use anymore? Uh-huh. Just power them up and use them for uh, all your music. And there pictures. you go. That's yes. beautiful. It's, uh, you yep. can put all your music and pictures on there, and when you want to yep. listen to music, because it won't go online, because it's you know, not the phone yep. you use anymore. Yeah, yeah. So instead of tossing them out or selling them for forty bucks, keep them uh-huh. and just use them for all your music, like hard drives. Perfect. We I, we give them to our little kids to play their games on them. Right. And uh, and we kind of stockpile like all our old. We've got probably four or five old iPods. Just we're holding on to them for dear life because they're right. kind of worth money and we don't want to lose them. You know. Yeah. Right. I'm with so, you. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're coming up at the end of the time. I love talking to you, but you got to tell me a couple of stories. So one thing I always like to kind of find out about is when you're fishing with your kids and it's a downtime and you're just sitting out there quietly and you're thinking, I can't believe this happened to me. What is that thing? What's the, the just the craziest memory that you can think of? And it could be meeting a hero. It could be a particularly good show or hearing a song on the radio or a really great groupie or whatever you want it to be. What is that memory? Well, for me, it just immediately jumps out as when we finished our first album, we decided to take uh, our gal fans down to uh, Puerto Vallarta for the old $850 holiday. If you change even your mind, you lose the whole deal, but you have to stay in the right hotel and fly the right airline and everything has to stay. Great. It's the budget budget holiday. But back then, we had, didn't have two nickels to rub together, so that was you know best we could do. Mm-hmm. So... As we're uh, kind of sitting by the beach in Puerto Vallarta, a guy comes up to me and he goes, Senior Mike, there's a phone call from Bruce Allen. And he's our manager at the time, right? Uh-huh. Manages Michael Bublé and Brian Adams and Ben. Wow. Nice. But we don't use him anymore, but he's still a good friend. 
So he, uh-huh. I go to the phone, and back this is back before cell phones, of course, and they had to come to the beach to get the person who's long distance from Canada, which was a big deal. It's like, ooh, call uh-huh. from Canada. And, you know, and so uh-huh. I answer the phone, and, and Bruce says, Reno, I know you're down there with a couple of guys in the band. I want you on a plane tomorrow back to L.A. And I go, what's going on? He goes, you're playing American bandstand. Dick Clark asked you. He thinks you're the, the, he thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread. He wants to meet yeah. you, and he wants you to go on the show and play some songs. And I just yeah. froze at the time, and I just went, ding. Uh-huh. It was the, the moment, you know, when you say, I, I think we got a shot here. I mean, yeah. nobody got a shot at like that. That was the show that was watched by everybody. If you were on yes. there, you gave me the news, the thing, the records sold, and all the other stations started getting you on their shows, Solid Gold and all those other shows. So... It was a huge moment for me, and I remember the hair standing on my, uh, yeah. my arms stood on end, and I went, oh, my God, this is huge. And that's one of the big yeah. moments for me. That's just like graduation into the big leagues. I assume you, know, you grew up wanting that, to be a rock star, kind of? Oh, and we became friends after that, and he asked us to do uh, different things for the American Music Awards really? over the years. Oh, great. When he invited us for the second time on the second album, we had uh, – quietly, secretly prepared a gold album for him when he came up on stage after the song to say, you guys are great, uh, everybody loves you, you can dance to it, you know, you can tap your toe to it, this is a great song. We said, well, we got something for you, and we pulled a gold album from around behind the drum riser, and we gave it to him, and he was visibly uh, taken aback, and later, really? off the air told us that nobody's ever given him a record on TV. Like, no. And we just oh. So there's a, like a nice relationship that we developed with one of the yeah. people in the industry. That's amazing. Just getting that kind of vote of confidence from a guy who's been doing it forever and sees something special in you, that's got to be mind-blowing. It was huge for us, and especially because, you know, we come from, uh, you know, Western Canada. We weren't like a sure. big L.A. group. We were like, you know, hidden up in the in the two leagues. You're from Calgary, right? Well, we were in Calgary when we started the band, but shortly thereafter we went to Vancouver, and we've been there for 38 years. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of big. I used to date a girl in college from Champion. Do you know where oh, that yeah. is? Little little tiny farm town. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of those up here. Yeah. In Alberta. She was from Champion. I went up there for Christmas one year. I worked there for, I lived there for what, six years uh, right after high school. There was really? a lot of music happening up in Calgary at the time. There was a bar. In every corner, there was a bar, and every bar had a band, and it was very uh-huh. competitive. There was like 15 to 18 bands that were vying to be the best band in Calgary, which is, you know meant you really had to put an effort in, you know. Did you personally ever meet a hero? Did you grow up loving Led Zeppelin or something, and then you, you're on the bill with Robert Plant somewhere? or I don't, It could be anything. But did you ever have one of those moments where it's like, that's David Bowie across the room or something like that? Oh, many times. One of my favorite singers always been it was Lou Graham from Foreigner. We got an opportunity yeah. to play with them, and then we became friends with them and uh, and Mick. You know, even to this day, if we see each other, we stop and talk for ten minutes, even if it's just passing yeah. in an airport or something. You know, I used to tell people one of the biggest kicks that's happened to me isn't all the praise and the money that's been made and all the records that have been sold, but the fact that if I open my telephone book, I've got maybe twenty five super huge rock yeah. singers and guitar players in my in, the, in my Rolodex, you know. Isn't I, I can call them up at any time and call them friends, everywhere from yes. Fudgeon to Robin Zander to uh, all the guys in Sticks and 
or yeah. you know, even ZZ Top, you know, Billy Gibbons. And oh, that, amazing. That, to be the real deal. You've earned it, Mike. I just want you to know I love you, and I'm so thankful that you talked to me. And you've meant a lot to me over the years. Ah, uh, man, man, you're welcome, John. It was really a pleasure rapping with you. There you have it, the great Mike Reno. I love that. And, you know, I had forgotten or just hadn't considered the fact that they were on both the Footloose and Top Gun soundtracks and how major that must have been for them. Good for them. He's just a regular working guy, and he gets to enjoy his success, as he should. I am so happy for them. And I think there's a lot of really interesting information in there on how to keep a band together. I don't know why other bands don't do it. Jacob Slichter from Semisonic, who we had on recently, he said very similar things. Seems like that's the secret sauce. That's how you keep people together and happy and invested in success. Now, like I said, if you're new to the podcast, we try to tell the stories of people you don't hear from very often. Next week's guest, I'm just going to tease it here, but a great band came out around the same time as Loverboy, similar sound as Loverboy. It didn't quite work out for them. And their story is very impactful as well. I hope you will come back next week and listen to that one as well. If you like this kind of idea, if you like hearing from the bands that you don't hear from often enough, go into iTunes, check out our archives. There's bound to be other people in there that you would love to hear from that maybe you haven't heard from for a while. Check out their episodes. You can go to our website at thehustle.podbean.com. You can also send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send me a message there if you want. If there's somebody else out there that you love that you'd like me to track down, let me know. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makevich for producing the podcast. We love you guys. We'll see you next Tuesday with another episode.